0: Hey everybody, this episode talks about gun violence, bullying, and references suicide contagion. At the end of the show, we'll give you a couple of resources. That's in case you or someone you love needs some support. In the U.S. these days, the horrible and the tragic feel inevitable. CNN and the Gun Violence Archive define a mass shooting as one that injures or kills four or more people. These are the places where they've happened in 2022. Buffalo, twice. Milwaukee, four times. Frequent mass shootings have become a predictable, if horrific, part of American life. Detroit, Tuscaloosa, Clarkson, Georgia, Lexington, Kentucky, Garland, Texas, Miami, five times.
1: Congress appears to be
0: on the verge of discussing new gun reform measures. Is that cause for
1: optimism? You know, the future is still in front of us. There are still things we could do to act and save many, many more lives. But all those lives for the last 20 years and what I see right now, I I, I feel a sense of urgency that we need to push even harder to stop this carnage.
0: Ron Avi Aster has spent a lifetime studying how the environment in school can lead to or prevent gun violence. He's a professor at the University of California, Los Angeles. In May, just three days after the Uvalde shootings, Astor and a group of experts published a call to action with recommendations that were backed by decades of research they say can prevent gun violence. But all the research in the world doesn't always help Ron cope with the reality.
1: I have that same fear for my grandchildren too, uh, in terms of them going to school in the morning. So I'm no different than everybody else in the United States, even though I researched this and I'm aware of it. I feel extreme sadness for these families and for the kids and the community. And I also feel that this could have been prevented if our society and our country actually took a public health approach and we could have done something about it and we still can.
0: To be clear, recommendations that Astor and his group put forth do include things like banning assault weapons. But Astor urges another approach, having conversations about real goals, like where are we heading? What do we really want our schools to look like? How do we wanna help young folks feel safe?
1: We've seen in some of our schools Kids just say, let's have an open circle session. These are elementary school kids. We want to talk about how we feel. We want to talk about being afraid and what we could do. And they have a really frank, open discussion with teachers, social workers, others that are around them, not about their psychological well-being only, but what they could do to feel safe in class. Same conversation with parents. Parents are fearful. What, What can we do as parents? If a class or a school discusses that today, okay, they could start implementing some of those things tomorrow.
0: Today on the show, after the deadly attack on Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Texas, where the police were helpless to stop it, some lawmakers are once again saying we should be arming teachers. But experts like Ron Aviaster are urgently saying that would create more harm. I'm Sonarion Glenton, in for Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. This episode is brought to you by SAP. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI will not help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. stories are important. And when you're having discussions about gun control in the U.S., often the Second Amendment ends the conversation, right? How do you tell the story of gun control leaving aside the Second Amendment?
1: Yeah, I actually think that that's been a big stumbling block because that's the first thing that we talk about usually. And I think if our first thing that we talk about is how do we save lives and not talk only about the Second Amendment, then we could actually do quite a bit more. So, if the first thing that comes out of the Second Amendment and banning the words banning and all that, then my approach is we need education. We need, we need gun education. We need gun responsibility. We do have health classes in schools all across the United States. There's no reason in the world that any gun owner should be against a gun safety course where we talk about how you store guns, the dangers of accidental death, domestic violence, how you avoid those situations. And I think the more people become educated at the local and the school level about this, they're going to make certain decisions going in a certain direction. That's more public health. And so, you know, I know that people want to ban all guns in the United States would find that kind of sacrilegious. But my sense is that's a really good place to start, because even just storing, them in the right place or learning how to use it or getting a license as we can. The research is showing that if we could get to a point where people are licensed and educated like we do with cars, driver's training in schools, hazardous materials, we don't want kids to be around here or alcohol or other kinds of things that we have age limits, then we start shifting the conversation towards managing kids and other people when they are around extremely dangerous materials.
0: Is there one solution that you see on the table now or that that you think that can help address what's going on based on the patterns that you've seen?
1: There's no one solution that will solve this. So what researchers have done in the last 10 or 15 years is gathered and say, well, what set of solutions can we have that would close to eliminate it that we've seen in the most effective states and countries?
0: Can you walk me through some of the other points of this plan that you and researchers came up with?
1: Yeah, I mean, so there's three really big points. One of them are things that we need to do as a society across all schools. And those are really long-term. They're short-term for the kids in the school, but they're long-term with an eye on making our society more welcoming, more caring, less racist. The second one is really taking, you know, people usually say, is it mental health or is it guns? You know, they usually have one thing versus the other. So actually taking that long list of risk factors that we worry about Because no one of those will cause a shooter. And provide supports for people who are showing one or two or three of them really, really early on, reducing bullying, discrimination, harassment, assault. And the third one is what we spend most of our time in the media talking about. What do we do just before a shooting or a killing or a suicide is imminent?
0: Well, one of the things I think is interesting as you lay out this plan is Gun control is just one of those solutions, right? This feels different than the conversation that politicians are having about this problem.
1: Well, I mean, for me, it's really about trying to imagine, first and foremost, what kind of country we want to be. What should we be? Where are we going? Where is our compass? Where is our North Star? And if we want to imagine a society 10 or 15 years from now where people actually have civil discussions, get along with each other. And the example I usually give people is like a neighborhood. So if I'm with a real estate agent and I want to buy a house someplace and the real estate agent comes to me and says, we've got some tanks at the entrance and some guys walking around with bazookas and you're going to feel super safe there. I probably would say, you know, don't, don't even take me. To this place, uh, because I do not feel safe anymore. So it's intuitive. I, I want the place where people are in their gardens, talking to each other. There's a close social network. People get to know each other over a period of time. It's those social bonds and social networks and the caring piece that makes me feel safe and connected and cared for. People get that for real estate, but somehow they don't get that for schools. The dialogue that we have right now is really about making schools into little prisons.
0: Help me understand some of the shorter-term things that have been shown to be effective.
1: In one project that we had in uh, San Diego with 145 schools, we actually tried to make schools more welcoming, supportive, caring, with better resources, better dialogue. And it was surprising, you know, even four years after not being there and doing the intervention, the levels of bullying, victimization... Drug use, gang affiliation are all dramatically down, 50 to 70% down uh, than they were. So that's immediate. We could do that right away if we wanted to.
0: Reported incidents of bullying are down. Now, how do you square that with this dramatic increase in, say, schoolhouse murders? I mean, if, if, what's the, like, that seems like a huge tension to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. And I have to say that I think as a researcher looking back over 20, 25 years again, that I was wrong in my original thinking about it. All those efforts, positive school climate, culturally affirming settings, those kinds of things that are universal, they do reduce actually severe stuff, uh, including joining gangs, including bringing weapons and all that. I think we need for the shooters a different discussion. I think it's slightly, it's a related, but not exactly the same phenomena. What we see with the shooters, for example, is yes, if you look at each of these individual risk factors, they played some kind of role, but not every kid that's bullied will go out and try and murder other. Not every person with a mental health issue will do this. So that's been the, the, the crux of the argument. What we need to start looking for with the shooters and those situations is this constellation of different kinds of attributes. So kids that have extreme obsessions with firearms, with the need to almost a compulsion to collect them, an obsession with groups that includes prior shooters and conspiracy theories that wanna harm other people. And that all these are not either or, these are and, uh, almost every shooter has been suicidal, and we don't talk enough about that. They're suicidal, and they take out other people for the primary reason of having the media and the whole world talk about them. That's the same thing terrorists do. Terrorists do this to get out their message, their idea, and also the idea that their existence mattered. So I think if we approach it that way, we have a whole different way of thinking about it, where we could actually reduce day-to-day violence, as we have been doing in the last 15 to 20 years in massive ways, but also reduce the shootings because we're missing it because we're only looking at one or two of these variables at a time.
0: More with Ron Aviaster about what we can do to prevent gun violence after a quick break.
1: With Today in the Middle East. Happens in now, Ukraine has consequences for what's happening around AI.
0: Hello, listeners. I'm Gabrielle Sierra, host of the Why It Matters podcast from the Council on Foreign Relations. Look, the world of international affairs can feel overwhelming and complex, but it also shapes our lives every single day. So it pays to know what's going on out there. Why It Matters is a foreign policy podcast for the rest of us. And with a little bit of humor and a lot of questions, we're here to break down global topics and bring the world home to you. So join us every two weeks on Why It Matters, wherever you listen. After every mass shooting, like clockwork, public figures rush to provide solutions.
1: Senator Ted Cruz represents Texas. What are we going to do about this? This mass murderer came in through an unlocked door in the back of the school.
0: Some ideas are practical, others, bizarre.
1: And one of the things that that, that everyone agreed is don't have all of these unlocked back doors. Have one door into and out of the school. And and sometimes, because this is a political issue and it involves guns, I think sometimes schools tend to avoid the discussion when, in fact, we need to increase the amount of discussing in terms of what would make it safest when you come to school. And we could see in the work that I do with how to create schools that are more welcoming, caring, and supportive, that uh, even though they can't control everything that happens in the world, that process of talking and discussing and strategizing for the local is what really helps kids and families come up with great strategies actually to make their schools safer in real time.
0: Now, those seem like long-term strategies.
1: Well, I I think those could be long-term strategies in terms of where our society goes to reduce the overall number of shooters or shootings. But uh, sometimes we've seen with communities, they've organized vigils, or they've organized celebrations or events that are culturally oriented, or they focus more communally during these periods of time. And that's been really, really helpful. And those are short-term. Those are not long-term. They could make you feel... Comfortable immediately. You know, if you've watched the debate, especially in the
0: last couple of weeks, there's been talk of more guards with guns. Is there any comfort to be found in, you know, putting more police in schools or having fewer doors, et cetera?
1: No, that's my straight answer. And over a period of a month or a year or 10 years, it really has detrimental effects. We don't have any data showing that a security guard or police that will actually prevent or stop shootings on a regular basis. In fact, we have a lot of data with that showing that even though they were there, it didn't really stop the carnage. Uh, With the latest shooting, it's probably one of the saddest examples. And for those who are arguing that teachers have more guns, I'm still baffled with that because if SWAT teams and trained police officers can't do it, why are they expecting teachers who don't want to have guns, for what we could see nationally, to be carrying guns to do that work?
0: I'm I'm trying to imagine Sister Rosemary,
1: <laughs> you know, right. like
0: be, being trained.
1: Yeah, and there's no data.
0: Whenever people talk about arming school employees, I just imagine my four foot eleven teacher, an Adrian Dominican nun, packing heat in an elementary school. I'm sure there are many literary teachers who know their way around a gun. But Astor says, we know what would happen if my elderly English teacher, Mr. Kizalevakis, had one in his Shakespeare class.
1: The more guns, the more friendly fire deaths we're going to have in those situations. And the more situations where kids or other people get a hold of those guns, we have data from other sources showing that those unintended consequences are highly likely to happen.
0: You were talking earlier about sort of the common traits of the people who do this. I want to sort of separate this out so I can understand, you know, it doesn't seem like it's hard from what you say to figure out who is a potential shooter, given what the patterns are. So what do you do then The follow through?
1: Well, I think the way we think about it kind of blinds us to seeing the patterns as they emerge in real life. I think a blinder is this whole conversation on mental health, because everybody's like, well, I'm depressed. Well, I'm upset. Well, that doesn't mean you're a shooter. I think I think if you know what you're looking for, and people don't always know what they're looking for. So again, even when Columbine, parents knew that these kids had massive arsenals in there. By the way, these are not uneducated parents. So You look at the shooters, people with master's degrees and BAs and whatever. But, you know, sometimes they bought the guns to appease their kids under the recommendation of the psychologist way back then as a way to bond with the kids. So, you know, my sense is if you look at each one of these separately, you get confused. So that's why it's really important to not to say things like gun banning or mental health. These are kids who are completely obsessed with guns and they're completely obsessed with collecting arsenals. Of those guns and they're obsessed with the people who have committed the shootings and they want to break their records and they're suicidal any one of those things that you pull out you're going to miss what you need to be looking for i want to add something if i can about the media because if we take the terrorism and we take the suicidal piece that i was just talking about that they're all together with the weapons we do know that the media is reporting on terrorism and suicide makes a difference on the frequency of how many suicides you have as copycats or as contagion, same with terrorism events.
0: I think of the incidents of say, as a local reporter in my early days, you know, we found out about a suicide by train, right? And those aren't publicized because they don't want people doing that, right? What can folks like me do to change the narrative or do better, I guess?
1: I do think that our national strategy should include with the media some discussion on what not to talk about with the perpetrators, same as we do with the suicide, same as we do with mass terrorism, because that is, in my opinion, fueling the frequency. By the way, again, we don't talk about these shooters as suicidal, but they're going in suicidal. And we need to start using that language and focusing on the victims mainly. And that's important because there's a lot of lives that could be saved.
0: There's tentative legislation in the Senate around gun control. Is there anything about the proposals that you've seen going around in Congress that heartens you?
1: Yeah, you know, I like the House package much better than the Senate package that they passed. You know, it's much more comprehensive. But, you know, I think, again, many of us are at the point where we've gotten really nothing over the last two decades. So people seem happy with the compromise that we have, and I'll take anything like everybody else. We're okay with that. I'm thinking how many lives can we save? But it's somewhat minimalistic. So I'm okay with it. I'm hoping it's a first step like everybody else is thinking, uh, particularly on the left, uh, that it that it is, uh, and that maybe we could get more Congress people to be thinking people will vote on those issues. But my happiness is, is tempered. Let's put it that way. I'm glad that something's being done, but I know that it's not going to make a, a massive difference.
0: Whew. Well, thank you for taking your time to talk
1: to us today. I appreciate it. Yeah, Thank you very much. I appreciate your interview and your questions. I would like to urge your listeners to actually vote on this that make this their number one issue that they vote on. I know we got a lot of stuff going on in our country, but if you can make this your number one or number two issue that you vote on, we will have change very quickly in our country.
0: Ron Aviaster is a professor of public affairs, social work and education at UCLA. We talked about some serious subjects today. If you or someone you love is having suicidal thoughts, there are people who can help. You can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That's 1-800-273-TALK. Or you can text hello to 741-741. That's the crisis text line. We have a special announcement about an upcoming Slate Live event. If you want to get up to date on everything happening with the Supreme Court right now, come to the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York on Thursday, June 23rd. That's when my colleagues from Slate will be unpacking all the news, and there will also be a special live slow burn taping. Head to slate.com slash supreme to get your tickets now. That's the show. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Carmel Del Shad, and Mary Wilson with help from Anna Rubinova and Sam Kim. We are led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. I'm Sonari Glinton, and while it's been a pleasure to join you, Mary Harris will be back here tomorrow.